0: if he's with us, we talked about hope. And so this week we're talking about hope. And guess what? Next week we'll probably be talking about hope. So just give you a forewarning. But last week we talked about hope. And hope is one of those words that is, I think, diluted now. And it's diluted because it's like that word love. You know, I love biscuits and gravy. I cooked it for the kids today. The they had it in the, between, in the Sunday school hour for the kids performing and so I love biscuits and gravy. And if you're not a biscuits and gravy fan, we'll pray for you after church. But, you know, you put sausage in there. Or if you want to get really, really crazy, chocolate gravy. If you Anybody had a chocolate gravy before? Oh, come on. that sing to your heart is what that will do. And so that's just good stuff. And you know, so I can say proudly I love biscuits and gravy, right? And I also say I love my wife. Those are two different things, aren't they? And you can't you can't equate one to the other, but we use hope in that same way. We use hope all the time. You know, like I hope I get a new car for Christmas, or I hope I get a new bow for Christmas, or I hope um, I hope you get better. You know, we use that hope word a lot, and it, it, we we kind of equate it now to wishful thinking. Right? It, it's kind of wishful thinking almost. We use it so much in different settings. It's almost like oh, it's just you know wishful thinking. You know, And and so what I'm saying is we're talking about hope, but the the kind of hope that I'm talking about, we learned last week, is founded on the promises of God. That's the kind of hope that we're taking with us. That's this Christmas season. That's hope I want you to think about. Not wishful thinking, but the hope was on promises of God. And what we looked at last week, we looked at the genealogy, and we're going to look at that again this week, Matthew chapter 1. And as you read through it, it shows us a couple things last week I want to remind you about. The first thing that shows us that as you read through there, okay, so what that represents is the last time God spoke in the Old Testament to the birth of Jesus was 400 years. And so we walked through the genealogy and it showed us what? It showed us that God did not forget them. 400 years, don't you think many of them said God left, God's out of the building, he don't remember us. And so what that shows us, what this Christmas shows you, is God has not forgotten you. And the second thing, maybe even more powerful thing that we saw last week, was all the promises, all the prophecies of Jesus, of the Messiah coming, came true. Okay, well now, if you read it through it, research it out, there's more promises about the second coming than there was the first coming. So how many knows if all those promises for first came, coming came true, then guess what? All the promises of the second coming are going to come true. Amen? And so that's what hope is. That's our hope is that I know that he has not forgotten me. And I know that he's coming back for me one of these days. And I know that this is not my iPad because I get entered a password every time. So that's a whole other story. But um, I'm struggling today. I'm just warning you. I'm forgetting everything. So, hey, but anyways, hope. And so what we're going to look at is is hope. And through all that hope, there's still some of you sitting here this morning Say, I still don't think I'm worthy enough for the promises of God. And there's many of you, let's be honest, that, that, that you come to church, and you believe God is great, you love church, you love the people of church, but I think there's still many of us sitting in our, in our service that, that don't believe that God can use them. Like, I'll, I'll come All set, I love the kissing, it was awesome. You know, I love the people, I love fried fish, and that's why we have a lot here at Brighton, so I come, you know. But yet, I promise you, there's still some sitting here this morning and think God cannot use them. You know, Pastor, I've really hurt people, or I've sinned against God, I've let people down, I've made a mess of things. And maybe you hear this today and you really don't think that God could use you. But can I tell you, there's hope. This is Christmas, there's hope. Because when we have hope, not wishful thinking, but when we have hope on the promise of the Word of God, it gives us certainty. And so I want you leaving today with certainty that God can use you no matter where you're at. And so last week I introduced a genealogy, and I did an excellent job at butchering it for you. And so during the butchering of a genealogy, maybe you missed some things I want to point out to you this morning. Because if you actually look at the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, it's filled with sketchy moments. It's filled with things that you don't even want to tell your kids about. That's where it's at. And so that's that's why I want to read it, and I want to show you hope through this. And so let's go back to Matthew chapter 1. And let me just pick a few verses out. I want you to see this morning. Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah and descendants of David and Abraham. Verse 3. Judah was the father of Perez and Zezrah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. And you'll notice all these verses, I highlighted the parentheses. Because when you're reading through, especially genealogies, you know, you got your Bible reading plan, and you come to a genealogy, and if you're like a lot of people, we just skim it, right? And as you're skimming, you miss out the parentheses. But I want to highlight the parentheses today because I think they speak volumes to us. So then we skip to verse 5. Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. And then verse 6. Jesse was a father of King David. David was a father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. As last week, we talked about the importance of genealogies. A couple of things in the, in the, in the Bible times about genealogies is you couldn't buy land without showing your genealogy. And if you want to be, become a priest, you, could, you, you had to make sure you showed there was no brick breaks in the priesthood of your genealogy to be able to become a priest. And so those genealogies were very important. But how many also knows that even in the Bible times, they figured out a way to kind of doctor their genealogies a little bit, to kind of fudge them. I mean, come on, who doesn't have a crazy uncle in the family? You kind of like to maybe break that limb off the tree and just say, here's the family tree, right? I mean, every come on. I'm not the only one here. And so that's what they figured this out. They figured out, you know, to show a strong family, they wanted to fudge a little bit and kind of maybe exclude a cousin here, maybe an uncle there. And so that way they could present their genealogy was a strong genealogy, a strong family. And you know all those parentheses we see, all those parentheses I highlighted, you wouldn't want any of those in your genealogy. I guarantee you that. And so that's like all these princes are kind of like the, the greatest hits of black sheep in a family. They're the ones you would definitely bust out the white out white out and just mark those off. Because what those represent, they represent scandal after scandal after scandal. And this is how crazy this is. God was very intentional about putting these in the genealogy. He wanted to make sure you read them. And you know what? even like Okay, women were never even part of the genealogies. So like you didn't have to put... Nobody expected them to be in there. But yet God wanted to make sure they were in there. So why in the world do you see all these stories about brokenness, bad choices, immorality? Because I believe it's God showing you and I hope. That there's hope, there's grace, there's mercy. Go on, think about it. Aren't you glad... Your history doesn't define define your destiny. Come on, every one of us in here should say amen to that. But maybe you're still like, well, pastor, I don't know. You know, I've gotten myself into some crazy situations. Or my life right now is kind of a mess. If you knew the junk I'd gotten myself into, you wouldn't be telling me that God wants me. Okay, well, I want to challenge that this morning. Just look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 3. This is a great story. Matthew chapter 1 verse 3, Judah was the father of Perez and Zezra, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron was the father of Ram. Let me give you a little context to this story that's part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So Tamar meets a man, they get this arranged marriage Er, right? So Judah had three sons, Ur, Oban, and, uh, and see here's like these strong families, Ur, I mean, that's a, you know, that's, a good, that's a good name. Oban, I mean, that's a strong name. And then we got Sheila. I don't know where that one came out. I guess they got tired of naming the sons after that. They wanted a girl. Anyway, so that's the sons of Judah, right? And so Tamar meets Ur, and they get us arranged, and they get married, right? Well, after they're married, Ur suddenly dies, and Tamar is a widow now. Well, the custom in the Old Testament was is if you, if you were a widow and had no children, you'd be given to another brother. Usually the third brother. This time it's the second brother. We're not sure why. But anyways, that's a custom. And it was a custom because what they had to do is it was that job of the next brother to produce children with her. And then when you did that, those children represented the deceased brother. It was kind of like his his children, that's what it looked like, and that's what it was presented like. So that way, it, his name could continue. So anyways, Tamar, Ur er get, get hitched, Ur er dies, and now Tamar is left widows, as a widow. So they're like, all right, let's give him to Obed. Obed, you, you marry Tamar. Obed didn't want nothing to do with this. He didn't want no part of it. He didn't want to marry her. And so he's forced to, so they get married, and on the night, their honeymoon, time for the, the, the deed to go down, uh, Oben goes halfway and doesn't allow anything else to happen. And you read for your own. I'm not telling you. This is, I'm trying to keep it PG here. <laughs> so you read the rest of the story. Anyways, Oben failed on his responsibilities, purposely failed. God got so mad at him, he killed him. Okay, so here's Judah. Judah's got Er, Oban. He's got one more son. He's like, okay, the odds are not great right now. He's going to make it if he marries Tamar, right? I mean, let's be honest. And so what does he do? He procrastinates. He's dragging his feet. He's like, I don't want this to happen. I don't want to keep a son. You know, I'd like to have grandkids someday. And, And he's dragging his feet. So Tamar gets very upset, very upset, the whole situation. And so she comes up with her own plan. She knows Judah. Judah likes um, Judah likes the women of the night. He likes the prostitutes. He visits them quite frequently, and, and Tamar knows this. So Tamar dresses up as a prostitute, and she knows when Judah's going to be coming through town at the gate, so she positions herself at the gate as a prostitute, right? So Judah's coming through town. He sees her. He's like, hey, you know... You know, and, and then things go up, things happen, things go down, you know, ask your mom what happens and, and she'll tell you. But so things happen, right? And so a few months later, Tamar is walking around town and people notice she's pregnant. She's not only pregnant, she's pregnant with twins, okay? That's a big no-no, right? And so everybody's like, oh, she's she sinned, she's done this, and so they grab her bring her into the council, and they're ready to burn her. They're going to burn her alive. They, they, they're going to teach her a lesson, right? And so they pass judgment. They're going to burn her. And before things happen, before they go too far, she goes, hang on a second. Don't you want to know whose kids it is? Again, Judah still being very arrogant. Like, yeah, okay, let's see. And so she whips out this belt that she took from Judah on the night things went down and she holds this belt up and she goes, Whoever this belt belongs to is a man whose kids these are. And it's like the light bulb went off. And he's like, Oh, you talk about a soap opera. Like, I guarantee you, <laughs> I guarantee you, there's some soap operas that use this storyline before. That's how bad it is. I mean, this is terrible. And I, again, I can't keep this stupid iPad open. Okay, there's two. Listen, you guys all get to put part of this today. <laughs> so again, you can't make this stuff up, right? You cannot imagine this. And so all this happens, light bulb goes off, Judah realizes what's happened. You're talking about the mother of all messes is what you have on your hands right here, right? So luckily Judah calls on mercy from, the God, from God, repents, and, and they, they kind of move on with this. But you talk about mess. Like as I'm preparing this, I'm getting red just thinking about how I'm gonna tell this story to you guys. That's how embarrassing this is, right? I mean, why in the world would you ever mention this if there was ever a time to break out the whiteout on their genealogy? This is it. You don't want to tell your grandkids about this, right? I mean, you can't even tell kids under 16 this story. I mean, that's how bad it is. It's a messy situation. But God was very intentional in mentioning this in his genealogy. Why? Why do you think he would? Why do you think he would? You don't have to. Women are not supposed to be in a genealogy. Just leave it out. It's okay. But he's very intentional. I think he's very intentional because only God could use this situation to make a masterpiece. And that's what happened in this situation. He took this messy situation and did only what God could do and made a masterpiece, masterpiece. That's the Christmas story. That's how God uses ordinary people with messed up lives to bring hope to the world. That's Christmas. It's hope. It's hope that maybe your life is messy right now and you don't know how you ended up, where you're at, but you got a messy situation. But Christmas story gives you hope that no matter where you're at, no matter how big the mess is, that God can make a masterpiece out of it. That's God that wants you. That's God choosing you. That's someone we can identify with. I mean, I hope you can identify with Judah. If you do, we need to talk. But I mean, that, that, that's what it shows. What does it show us? What does this genealogy show us? It shows us a redemption story, doesn't it? how these people are not perfect, how these people have messed up, they've sinned, they've, they've failed, they, they're they in a, this an unbelievable situation, but God chose them. The most likely people... Can, let's be honest. If you're writing this story of how the Son of God came to earth, I guarantee you none of you would have wrote it like that. I mean, I can't imagine the priest... or. They're writing the story. I can't imagine. They're like, I can't write that. And the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, I want you to put that. No, I can't put that in there. Why? Because the redemption story. This is a Christian story. It's about redemption. It's about hope. It's about grace. Because the enemy loves you to remind you of your past, of maybe your current situation. The enemy loves us to to think on these things. Why? Because the enemy wants you to give up. The enemy wants you to come to church because it's a good place. Come to church maybe because it's tradition for you, but you sit there Sunday after Sunday thing, and I can never be. God would not use me. The enemy loves that to keep you down, to keep you from going anywhere. God doesn't want you. God can never use someone like you. Can I just tell you these are lies this morning? This is God's specialty. God chooses you and I to show how great he is, doesn't he? You're in the middle of a messy situation, there's hope. Because God wants you. You still don't believe me? Okay, let's go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Solomon was a father of Boaz. Again, look at the parentheses. Whose mother was Rahab. Again, you don't need that. Boaz was a father of Obed, whose whose mother was Ruth. Obed was a father of Jesse. Jesse was a father of King David. David was a father of Solomon. You could leave this last part out, right? Whose mother was Bathsheba? Period, right? You should put a period there. Whose mother was Bathsheba? Half the people wouldn't know. Bathsheba, okay, cool name, right? Nobody would know. Put a period. But he had to add, oh yeah, the widow of Uriah. I'm like, come on. Let's look at this. I want you to see who God chose to be a part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Rahab. Okay, let's look at Rahab. Rahab was a Canaanite. Had no business being in the genealogy. Oh yeah, she happened to be a prostitute. So a Canaanite, a prostitute, had no reason to be in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. But God chose her. An unbelievable story. There's Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. You don't know anything about the Moabites. They were the worst of the worst. They were like the most unclean people there were. The things the Moabites did to people, like unmentionable is how cruel they were. So this Moabite woman, we understand redeemed by Boaz. We see a beautiful story out of that. Had no reason to be in a genealogy of Jesus Christ. These ladies, they're not supposed to be there. But God, come on, somebody. Every one of us has a but God in our life, don't we? And then Bathsheba, we get to Bathsheba. Minding her own business, taking a bath, right? She gets in the story by the way of David, because of David's sinful behavior. David lusts after Bathsheba. David acts upon that lust, creates affair with Bathsheba. And then, and then Uriah. Think of Uriah. Uriah was one of David's guys. Like David had these guys, and these were like the men of men. Like these were like the the warriors of what they were. Warriors. David fought with these warriors, side by side in battle with these warriors, conquering an enemy with these warriors, staying out nights after nights with these warriors. These were his 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 guys. But this David, man of his own, God's own heart, has an affair with Uriah's wife, then sends Uriah to the front lines and has them killed. This David. I mean, you could have just said Jesse was the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon, and be done with it. But why does God include this? I think it's for you and I to find hope. For you and I to understand that God chooses people. And in that choice, there comes redemption and there comes forgiveness. That's grace, that's mercy. This is the genealogy of Jesus. I mean, you know, you ha- it had to be blowing the minds of the religious elite, didn't it? And you know, God's just, just laughing as he's stirring all this up. He goes, oh, we're going to put this in there. This is really good them. Let's put this in there. That would really question them. This, you know, God had to be... Smile as he's as he's lying this out. Oh, and it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Okay? Was engaged to be married to Joseph. Before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, Matthew chapter 1 is like scandal after scandal, after scandal, after scandal. And this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Why in the world is all this mess clearly lined out in Scripture for us? Two reasons. I'm going to wrap this up. Maybe if I get the worship team to come on back up. This is the reason I think we see this and when we take time to look at this, it speaks volumes. Because one, we can clearly see a story of redemption in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Tell me God can't use you. Let me show you Matthew chapter one. Because it's about redemption after redemption after redemption after redemption. That's a story that God chose to introduce his son. Why? Because he's a God of redemption. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. So we can clearly see the story of redemption in the geology. Secondly, we can clearly see ourselves in the story of geology. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I can identify with some of this stuff in Matthew chapter one. Every one of us can identify with the stuff: the scandal, the mess, the immorality, the sin. I mean, come on, look, look look at it. Matthew chapter one: Abraham, Abraham lied. Multiple times. Okay, Jacob. Jacob was a deceiver. He deceived people, right? Come on. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair. And then David murdered somebody. I can identify. Like, those are my people, right? I mean, come on. Think about it. If God had written this story... And he was stopped with David, a man of my own heart. And David never messed up. Abraham never messed up. We'd look at the story and be like, that's cool, but I can never. Right? I think this is why God was so intentional about adding these things, is to clearly show you the redemption story and clearly show you He chooses you because we look at our mess, we look where we've been, we look look what we've done. And you may come and you may sit and enjoy a service. You like the stories. You love it when I can't say a word. I mean, come on. But you sit there also and you say, "Well, God can't use me. I'll give my tithes. I'll come." But now I'm here to tell you this morning. Christmas says there's hope. Christmas says he chose you. He picked you to be in his story. I mean, come on. He picked me. I mean, that's incredible. Don't tell me God did not choose you. Don't tell me you've gone too far. Don't tell me you've messed up. Don't tell me... Those are lies from the enemy. And this Christmas, I want to tell you there's hope. There's grace. There's mercy. There's redemption. That's the Christmas story that's clearly laid out for you in Matthew chapter 5. In the middle of whatever you're going through, there's a God that loves you and a God that wants you to be part of his genealogy. Would you stand with us this morning? great you guys listen and you guys nod your head at me I love that a few more amens would be okay but I'm not picky here's what I want to challenge you on this morning I'd rather you take it to heart and think about this pray about this message this week instead of nodding your head at me I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you this week and remind you that you're chosen Remind you that even if you're in the middle of a mess that he wants to use you. He wants to you use you in his kingdom. So you can look back like one of these say listen. This was my story. But now I'm here. I don't know how it happened but I tell you who who made it happen. Every one of you this Christmas season know that God can use you in a powerful way if you just say, Okay, quit listening to the lies of the enemy and say, God, here I am, use me. Amen. Tell me, Father, Lord, God, I pray this morning that we would honestly take it to heart this week. And allow your spirit to sort of remind us of the redemption story. Remind us that we have not went too far. Remind us that you want to use us. Remind us that you chose us. That Lord, now every Christmas comes around. It reminds us you chose me. All the warts, all the cracks, all the freckles. You chose me, God. You chose me be part of your family, to be in a genealogy genealogy of Jesus Christ. You chose me. If there's anybody in here this morning, we're going to end this way. We'd love to pray with you. If there's anybody here that maybe the enemy's lying.